Walk It, Bike It, Ayrshire podcast is a creation of the Active Travel Hub Kilmarnock and Active Travel Hub Air. For those who don't know us, both hubs operate out of the train stations in their respective town centres and work to promote active travel to the general public, to workplaces and community groups. We want to make it easier for everyone to access walking and cycling and to see them as better alternatives to taking the car. Whilst we're all currently working from home, we're still here to help and you can call, email or contact us through social media and we hope you'll love our new podcast, Walk It, Bike It, Ayrshire. Okay, welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us for our next episode in our Walk It and Bike It podcast. My name's Holly and I'm also joined by Rory from the Air Active Travel Hub. And today we're thrilled to be joined by Jimmy Begg, who is a man of many talents, but will be mainly speaking to us today about his work founding and maintaining the Ayrshire Coastal Path. The Ayrshire Coastal Path is a long distance walking path running from Glenapp in South Ayrshire all the way to Skilmory in North Ayrshire. Jimmy is a local man who was born and bred in Ayrshire, growing up in Newcomnock and moving to Ayr in 1968 to work as a GP. Jimmy has accomplished some amazing things, including 11 years working as a doctor on a helicopter search and rescue missions, setting up the River Dune Angling Improvement Association, and also winning two competitions for his Scots poetry and short stories. Jimmy has been awarded an MBE in 1996 for his services to medicine and the community, and he reti retired as a GP in 2000. Now, after he retired, Jimmy worked with the Air Rotary Club to build the Ayrshire Coastal Path, taking only four years to complete this beautiful 100 mile long distance walking route. Jimmy is the Ayrshire Coastal Path Trail Manager and volunteers with other pathminders maintaining the path, signage and raising funds to keep the route safe. So it sounds like you're a very busy man, Jimmy. When do you find time to relax? I, I'm somebody who just can't sit still. I can't sit watching television and drinking pints of beer and uh, getting fat. I, I've just got to keep busy. It's a way <laughs> of keeping going, especially in COVID. Yeah, very good. Um, we've already said that the Coastal Path was founded in 2005. So how did this come about? Can you tell us a bit more about this? Yes, it came about in 2004 when I'm a member of the Rotary Club and I was a convener of the Centenary Committee. Uh, Rotary was founded in 1905 by Paul Harris in Chicago, a Chicago lawyer, and, and, and is now worldwide with well over a million members in 160 countries. And it was at Centenary, it was going to be in 2005, and I was, I was asked to think of a project. So many years previously, when I'd been in Roundtable, we had had an idea to set up a cycle track along the old railway line from Ayr to Colleen. Uh, that fell through because of land issues and caravan sites on, on the site. So I um, thought about it again and thought, well, we could perhaps make a coastal path from Ayr to Colleen. Then I thought, well, if you get to Colleen, it's coast all the way down to Girvan. So we could do that. And well, if you turn around the other way, it's coast all the way to Largs, so we could maybe make it from Girvan to Largs. And I said, well, why stop there? If we can find a route from Girvan down to Glenarp over the hills, and we can find a route from Largs over the hills to Skelmilly, we can make an Ayrshire coastal path. So it went from one level to another. Um, it followed up later on by other things, which I think we'll deal with other connections, which we can deal with later. So we started a prospecting class, well, three or four of us keen Rotarians and walkers, and we walked the whole distance, 
speaking to farmers as we went along, farmers and landowners and councils. And um, then we started, uh, we initially thought we got the, uh, a lot of people still think it's council owned, but very early on we were told that neither North Ayrshire Council or South Ayrshire Council or any other council had money to set up something like this, although they gave it support. So we had to look for funding. And once we had our sources of funding in place, uh, we went ahead. And actually it only took 18 months to finish the the whole path with the signage and the, the gates and so on from the time we had our first grant. We got the first grants in October 2006 and I think we finished it in June and it was opened in June 2008. So the actual That's path building itself was only 18 months. That's incredibly and quick. We, and, and we did it for £85,000. Wow. wow, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and so you spoke about, get, where did you get your funding from then? Yeah, we, we got funding from, well, it's now Nature Scott. We, do, we got about £14,000 from um, Scottish Natural Heritage. And uh, our main source of funding, with small amounts initially from both North and South Asia Council, just from community development funds, which helped us a bit. But our main source of funding was the landfill tax money. Uh, people, your, your audience may or may not be aware, every lorry load that goes to landfill pays a tax and the governments of both uh, the UK government and uh, the Scottish government, now the um, money from that landfill tax goes to environmental projects run by, in these days was an environmental trust. I think it's changed its name now. But we finished up with about, I think £65,000 of the total came from uh, landfill tax money, environmental money. Oh, heard, um, yeah, I've never heard, heard of that before, actually, Jimmy. So that's that, that, all, that all dries up. Once a path or anything is completed, you're left on your own. You don't get any support for maintenance uh, work. And, of course, 12 years later, we've defined hundreds, even thousands of pounds for new signage, which is worn or got destroyed or just got wind-bashed or posts have fallen down mm -hmm. and gates need replaced and other improvements. So we have to find all that money ourselves. And and how do you how do you do that, Jimmy? Because I know it's it's hard to it's hard to keep getting that money. Yeah, it's very hard. It, luckily, we we've had some help. One or two walking clubs, Cunningham Ramblers in particular, have given us nearly a thousand pounds over the last ten years, just in perhaps two or three hundred pounds a time, perhaps a Christmas raffle or something. And individuals, we, we did for the first time this year, because at one point I was down to my last £26 in our maintenance fund. Um, and uh, this year, it, wasn't, it weren't that bad, but it was, it was heading downhill in terms of the money we had to spend and uh, the lack of money in the kitty. And we did in, in get a, a funding going with, through GoFundMe this winter, and in, in six weeks we raised £1,800 which really covers most of our costs for perhaps a year or two. This is for maintenance. A big projects, say with a bridge to build, or handrails to find for a bridge, or some other big project, like a lot of new signage, we can still apply to various local windfill, uh, windfill the funds and other funds uh, who may well source us and may not. Uh, but it's always, we're, we're, we're struggling all the time. We're not like the great, the West Highland Way. I mean, we're one of Scotland's great trails. We're one of the original 20 Scotland's great trails, along with the way uh, they set up by um, 
SNH in 2010 and we were one of the 20 original ones along with the big brothers like the West Highland Way and the Great Glen Way. A lot of these uh, big long distance walks are funded by uh, NGOs and, and local authorities and some state government funding, national parks, but we they might have a billion, a budget of several hundred thousand pounds or a million pounds a year. We usually have a couple of grand if we can scrape it together. But we keep our head up. We do Good work. Well. That's great, Jimmy. And am I right in, in saying as well that you can you can buy um, a guidebook for the Ayrshire Coastal Path as well? And do the funds for that, does that go towards maintenance as well? Yeah, there it is. Very nice. <laughs> right. And we, 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 the, the money for that originally, when I wrote it, and it's a bestseller, it sold about five and a half thousand copies oh, wow. all, worldwide. And uh, originally the money for that, I stipulated had to go to third world charities and, and local charities. And uh, we made about £40,000 for charities through Rotary for it. It was, it was Rotary charities it went to. But since the past became independent, um, just two years ago or 18 months ago, uh, we know the, the money from the, coast, the, from the Coastal Path guidebook goes to help the maintenance funding. We've just right. changed it around. Brilliant. Um, and we've talked. You've talked a little bit about when the path was initially initially built, um, and that was built by the Air Rotary Club, and it's now managed by the Ayrshire Coastal Path Management Board. Yes, um, and we, run by volunteers as well. So, how many people are on the team, and what kind of that, what kind of roles do you need to do on a day to day kind of basis? Yeah. Well, the the what we found after 10, 12 years of Rotary running it. Um, we had a limited number of volunteers and so I, I opened it up I said really we should have and from the very beginning when we were asked by the local council how are you going to run this path um, we said we'll run it voluntary and we'll run it ourselves and I had plans at that time we would involve the public anybody who wanted to volunteer and we did and we opened it up and for the last six or seven years we've had a, a group that's now up to about 60 pathminders and it's a great social crowd and, and they have great fun together. Uh, and that was a lot better than 12 or 14 Rotarians. So I can now, instead of getting two or three or four out on a good day, I can now get up to a dozen people out to do major projects and so on. And they're desperately keen. They're always, we've, some guys are out, and ladies, it's guys and dogs. We've got both and we can have some out every week wanting every week some only might be out two or three times a year or when they can but these extra extra bodies on a day's out uh, can make all the difference even though somebody's out on a casual basis if we have a big job the extra pair of hands can often make a, a big difference so we're always looking for people prepared to volunteer the board itself we felt that we had to look ahead beyond ourselves and rotary getting older and widen it and uh, we've got two of our board now are um, uh, uh, Bob Gibson, who's the, the works manager who organises all the work parties, and Gillian Craig, who runs Gillian's Walks, and Gillian runs the, the, helps run the, the publicity and the website and the Facebook side of it, the IT skills. And uh, so we're now two non-Rotarians there, and uh, still seven are in Rotary, but as the years go by, we'll be taking more and more people who are non-rotating on it. So it's out with Air Rotary Club, run independently, but still with a great input from Rotary in, in terms of 
moral support and so on. That sounds brilliant. No, it sounds yeah. like you've got a real um, variety of, of, of volunteers that have different skills and different jobs to be done. So it's, that's great. Oh, oh, huge, huge number of skills, you know, a lot of some of, we've got everybody from ship's captains to retired physicians and, and retired engineers, civil engineers and retired civil servants and retired teachers, retired headmasters. It's, um, yes, it's a big, uh, it's a, a broad spectrum, but the, the thing that everybody has is they enjoy getting out, getting their hands dirty and they can put themselves to, to manual work and develop some some better skills rather than just labouring. It's, it's just amazing how people pick up the skills to do the whether it's bridge building or other things. It's and it's, it's great fun. Well, it sounds really good mm -hmm. fun. Um, so Jimmy, a green, obviously, a green gym. I mean, it's a green gym for a lot of us. Green gym. Yeah. Green gyms are are really taken off at the moment, aren't they? They're yeah, very important. People getting yeah. outdoors, the social aspect, the physical aspect, the mental health aspect. Yeah. So. Yeah, sounds like this ticks all the boxes. Um, so, Jimmy, you must have walked the path many a times when you're choosing the route and um, obviously when you're maintaining the route. So, which is your favourite section and, and why is that? I think my favourite section, it depends whether you're a long distance walker and could do it in one or two, but I think my main sections. One, can I call them one or two? They can, done, they can be done in two, two, in two single sections. It's from Maidens to Denure and Denure to Ayr. And the reason for that is it's, you've got the castles, you've got the historical sites, so you've got the Calais Castle and Denure Castle. You've got lovely long sweeping beaches like Croy Bay and Turnberry Beach and the, the, the beaches north of that. You've also got cliff walks in quite a few areas where it's rugged and wild and not very many people go there. And the wildlife is fantastic. So there's, there's lots of different levels in that area, the, 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 from the, the wildlife to the history and just the, the fact it's not, uh, it's not um, a motorway. Yeah. Be yeah, beautiful, I imagine. I've done a little bit from Dunia to Air and that's absolutely gorgeous. Yes. Really nice. So talking about wildlife then, Jimmy, what's the what's the best thing that you've seen when you've been out walking on the Ayrshire Coastal Path? I think I think that there's two I think the first thing you've got to do is people who go out in, in big walking groups with 20, 30 people see very little because they're too busy talking, they're making a lot of noise, you know, social chat and so on, and too busy talking to each other to see what's going on around them. If you want to see, well, I'm a naturalist myself, I'm a bird watcher and an environmentalist naturalist. And when I'm out and about, I wear, I don't wear bright red, orange, yellow, green, blue anoraks, I wear, love it, I wear olive coloured clothes where you're not noticed. And if you're dressed like that and you're observant and you're just in a group of two, maybe two to six people, you'll see an awful lot more. Uh, we have seen, we've, we've seen, in fact, this was, this is a, it's in, con in, in contrast to what I'm saying, we once were at a work party of 11, we're down at Turnbury doing some dune restoration and uh, an otter came out of the sea about 30 yards from us and oh, wow. ran up the beach towards us. And there were 11 of us and a lot of them were wearing day glow jackets this time. <laughs> but it was running into a morning sun and otters are naturally um, short-sighted. And the wind was coming from it to us so it couldn't smell us. 
and it got to about 20 yards of it. I told the boys, he stand still, don't move. And it got to about 20 yards of it, and then it stopped and looked at us, put on his glasses, practice, what the, what? And then I'm off, and it just trotted away along the beach. That was, I think, and, and some of the guys had been out, this was the first time out, and it was the first time I'd seen an otter coming out, I'd seen them in the river, doing in the air and other places, but it was the first time I'd been that close to an otter from coming out of the sea, it was wonderful. That's well, other things amazing. like offshore, if you keep an eye open in the summer and a, and a glassy calm day, you might see the black fins of basking sharks. Wow. Within a few hundred yards of the shore, uh, you know, anywhere, anywhere from Lendlefoot right up to north of the Newer. Uh, last year, I saw a, a beautiful white heron like bird called a little egret with two of them on the walk that you did, uh, Holly, between just uh, north of the Newer. Yeah. Two little white egrets on the sand, on the rocks there. They're beautiful egrets. Roe deer, foxes, wildflowers. There's lots of things, but you've got to be observant, quiet, listen for the sounds, and uh, just look, just don't just look at your feet, look around you. Yeah. So good, it's a wonderful place advice. for wildlife. We've, we've had about 150 species of birds noted along the path, and myself personally and other people so it's a great place but be quiet and be observant that sounds great good good advice jimmy definitely um so you've spoken a little bit about the you know some of some of the cliff walking um between mm -hmm. maidens and and Denure, um and you're saying some parts of the path are actually quite technical aren't they um so did you have to think about this when you were kind of building the path and were there any accessibility considerations to take into account? Yes, I think I think, I think, think the first thing we've got to uh, emphasise, and we do emphasise this on our website, uh, in the guidebook and in our publicity stuff, is that it's not a paved path. Although it's called the Ayrshire Coastal Path, it's really a, de a designated route to be followed. Yeah. Because when we built it, uh, we, to, this is why it was done so cheaply, because we used uh, farm tracks, estate tracks, field edge margins along the edge of the fields and top of cliffs. We used the natural beaches where we could. We also used things like the promenades at Girvan and Ayr and Presswick and Troon and Salkets and Adrussan and the beaches beyond that. So we, it's, there's a lot of different terrain and where the, the, along some of the beaches there are rocky stretches, there are slippery stretches, um, there are stretches where we had no access. Uh, so we did have some technical problems and one of the biggest ones was, and you climbed, you've climbed these steps yourself Holly, the steps at Fisherton, the Fisherton Gully. Yep. When that was, we had to find a route along the shore there because there wasn't much of a route between the, the road and the beach itself and we had to climb up to get onto the old railway route, route to the heads of your caravan site. And when we're doing, doing this, trying to find a route, uh, this is observant, I noticed some rodeo tracks going up. The, what's the track of the present steps? And I thought, well, if a rodeo goes up there, we could traverse this slope. And we just dug that all out by hand. Wow. And we put steps, and they lasted about 10 years. And you've maybe done them in the last year or so, and we've completely rebuilt that. Took us a whole winter and a half partly built stone steps and most of it's been built as you know with new steps, new small bridges and sleeper bridges right to the top. That was a huge undertaking. Definitely. And we also to 
we had 15 tons of wind chips to manhandle down the whole of that 300 meters from the very top 100 feet up 150 feet above the sea right down to the bottom and that was all done by using builders bags pulleys ropes uh, fish boxes sledges and it was all done by my squad brilliant that's brilliant great work and then uh, see, there's a couple of bits where we know we had problems we had stepping stones and we've now built bridges we've got two good bridges one down at turnbury and another one at uh, the new mains and we just put handrails on that last year so it's an ongoing process the technical side we've just got to keep uh, look where things need to be improved and keep improving uh, taking on board what we, the messages about the feedback we get from walkers Sounds so great. it's uh, basically it's not done it's not a paved path uh, I, I should say i've said this it sounds as all it's very difficult and rough but the difficult stretches are really south of air yeah. really from from green and south there's a lot of um, rough hill walking but if you go from air north you can walk right to largs on the flattened level so it's very suitable for people who don't have the capabilities to walk hills and cover rough ground and also for wheelchair users and cyclists and so on as well so brilliant so it, that that would be the section that you would kind of recommend for kind of new new walkers or people yeah. wanting to do a bit of the section but maybe nervous about the technical side of it yeah they can dip their toes in, they, don't, they can walk without dipping their toes in the water because some of the places we actually have tidal delay areas where you've got to plan it and, and so on and the, to get around some of the, 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 the rocky points and so on if the tide is fully in at the top of a high tide you might have to wait for an hour or two for the other seven hours of tide either way it's, it's fine. All right Jimmy so uh, just the next question then so the Ayrshire Coastal Path as you as you mentioned before it's an official Scottish long distance walking route um, and is it true that it sparked the start of other long distance walking routes in the area such as the Mull of Galloway Trail and the Clyde Coastal Path? Yes it, it did because I I, 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 I sort of I highlighted my uh, shall we see my initial vision of air to Colleen and then how it expanded to going up to Skelmerley and the same years we did this and we, we got that, that route going I was already thinking and I was saying to the boys in Rotary look if we could expand this south we could take it right to, or it could go right to the Mull of Kintyre and if we went and join up with the southern upland way at, down near the Strindra and if we went north from Skelmerley over to Mogai perhaps over the Kelly Cut and so on and then along and over the Erskine Bridge to Mogai over the Douglas Moor, we could join onto the West Highland Way. So a wee deputation, I think three of us went down to Stranraer's Rotary Club, we had a meeting and we talked about our coastal path and we suggested to them that they might think of a project to build a route down there to join up with us. They did this initially, and they did from initially from Stranraer up to Glenarp, and that was the, the, the Loch Ryan Trail. And then I did suggest them you could maybe extend it to the Muller Galloway. So these the Stranar Rotary boys enjoyed it so much that they went ahead and they extended it right down to the Muller Galloway. So that's now the Muller Galloway Trail run still still run by Stranar Rotary Club. Then we spoke to Rotary clubs in in Guruk and in Mulgai Allander, and we gave them this other concept, and they got together 
and that's now formed the Clyde Coastal Pass from, from really from Weems Bay right up to join the West Highland Way. So the three, three trails founded by Rotary Clubs, the Mullagallaby Trail, the Ayrshire Coastal Pass, which is a lot longer than the other ones because of the length of the coastline, and the uh, Clyde Coastal Path, they now together form the Firth of Clyde Rotary Trail. Ah. Um, so it's, it's, just, it's just a way of linking and, and promoting Rotary and, and what the Rotary's done. But so, early on, very early on, we had a surprise contact from Canada from the International Appalachian Trail, who'd seen that we, what we were doing. And they had, this was a group of walkers and geologists and others who wanted to do the geological link up from the old world and the new world and also the social work of the, the, the folk immigrating from here to there. And they had set up, they, they had linked up with the internet, with the Appalachian Trail, which you know goes from Georgia right to Maine, right yeah. 2,500 miles. And the International Appalachian Trail extended from there north to Labrador through Canada, up through Newfoundland and, and, the, and the Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, Labrador. And then they were going to take it across the island. And this is big, big American, big New World thinking. Then across the island, I, I, Iceland, should I say, and then onto Britain and down England, Wales, and down the Atlantic coast of Portugal and Spain to Morocco. It's big wow. thinking. <laughs> so the, the one that they could use our trail as part of the Scottish chapter. So they, they, we are now part of the International Appalachian Trail, which comes across from the west coast of Ireland, it's Sleeve League and the west coast of Donegal, across to Larne. Uh, then it joins on the Mullagalloway Trail, comes right, right to our trail, and onto the West Highland Way, the Great Wen Way, and finishes up at Cape Ross. And we've had people who have done that all the way from Ireland uh, right up. It's, it's really a... It's a, a big boys trail. It's really for the trail bashers, the trail walkers, the, the, the mountain men and so on. But it's and the folk who have a big challenge. So we're part of that. And in the same year, that's when uh, the Scottish Natural Heritage came to us to invite us to become one of the original 20 Scotland's great trails, which we still are. And we've got to keep up standards of, of how, it, how it is. So, yeah, it's, it has expanded. Uh, it sounds like it's really um, a grown arms and legs since you just thought about yeah. <laughs> a walk from air to Colain. Yeah. That's amazing, Jimmy, though. That's so exciting. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, have you have you done any of a long distance walking routes in Scotland, Jimmy? And have you got one that you particularly would like to do? Um, I smiled at that one because when I was when I were a lad, as they say, um, there were no such thing as long distance routes in Scotland. But I remember as a 17 year old scout with one of my scouting pals in 1960, long, 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 long before you were born, uh, age 17, and, and he and I, Tom and I, walked 200 miles round the Highlands. We started at Killin and walked from there to beyond Blair Athol and then from King Yusey up to Abbey Moor and then down the Great Glen, over the hills to Glencoe and uh, uh, then back over Rannoch Moor and back to Cullin. Um So that was a great trip for two 17-year-old boys. And it was, and so like I could a, see, a right yes, I've done, done, done the Great Glen way 30 years before it was established. I've done part of the West Highland way. I've done part of probably other ways round about that area. But the interesting thing was that we, we actually, 
And reader Boggle, this in terms of active travel, we actually walked from Aviemore to Inverness in a day, 33 miles, along the side of the A9. Oh, no. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> and there was hardly any traffic on it. It was just like an ordinary main road. Um, and, you know, and I remember Paul said, oh, there's, there's Jock Geddes' car from New Cumnock. You know, there's a guy going <laughs> an old rover driving up the road on holiday. Uh, it's just so <laughs> unreal out of this world compared with nowadays. I don't think and it I, would have been I, particularly I, enjoyable walking along the oh, A9 yeah. now. And I, I, did, I did several, you know, 24-hour mountain challenge hikes in, in, in the early 60s when I was a student and I was fit. And, and when I graduated, I walked out at Hebrides, you know, from Loch Boysdale up to, to Loch Maddy. You know, I think there's a new route going the whole length of the Outer Hebrides. So, so I've done a lot of these. And, and the Galloway walkings I did long before the Galloway Hills, before the Southern Upland Way. In fact, I was very friendly and, and walked a lot with the, the Ken Andrew, who's the guy who set up the Southern Upland Way many years ago. And it was, it was his example that probably set me going to do the Usher Coastal Pass. So, no, I've, I'm too old at 70, I'm too old to do that sort of stuff now, but I, I still enjoy my walking when I can. It sounds like you've done, you've done plenty. You've got plenty yeah. of adventures to look back on. How long did it take you to do your 200, 200 We did it over miles? two weeks. It was, it was just before I started doing medicine, you know, it was just uh, and, and, uh, two, two weeks. And we're doing about 20 odd miles a day. But we, we had no equipment. We'd, we'd, we'd nothing. We're walking in shorts and bared back and with black boots. We had vibrant soles in our boots, but uh, we had nothing. We stayed in youth hostels all the time. It was, it was great fun. That sounds it was a big great. Event. A and big which, event. Was your, which was your favourite bit that you went through? I think, I think I, <laughs> climbing, climbing through Virgin Territory, from Glen Nevis Youth Hostel, climbing up the glen onto the ridge, and over the hills and down into Glugo. And where we went, we, we had a wee fishing rod and we got some worms from under the stones and in a wee burn halfway between Glen Nevis and Glen Coe, we caught some brown trout and we fried them in a, a wee primus stove, just by a wee bridge for lunch. And then going down into Glen Coe, we're going through ferns that are Bracken was about six feet high. We'd, we'd no, we'd do, we did it all on a half inch Bartholomew's road map. We didn't even have ordinary survey maps. It was a, the road map, the, the blue, blue the Bartholomew map. So, yeah, that's a bigger picture. That sounds great to me. Bigger very, very inspiring. <laughs> um, Fab, and, and finally, what, what advice would you give someone who wanted to get into walking or even maybe long distance walking or just, just any kind of walking, really? <laughs> I think we start with simple walking. People, for example, who are perhaps moving away from the, the promenade and shore walking. I think the first thing is good footwear for the conditions. We still get people, and I met a couple of people fairly recently who are complaining of it being muddy, walking the cliff top sort of routes in winter. Now they're wearing these walking trainers or walking shoes. You need, you really need boots for winter walking. So you can walk up to your ankles without been filled with mud and I think that's the first thing walking shoes for summer when it's dry but if you're going out in winter don't complain to us if you're above the ankles in mud because these are fields this is nature and weather conditions we have in winter now it's going to be muddy it's not a path it's a route in lots of places the second thing is good wind and waterproof gear I said earlier 
if you want to see the wildlife, make sure it's it's neutral coloured, you know, brown or, or or olive or green, but not brightly coloured. Uh, if you want to see the wildlife, that is. The third thing is a good walking stick. I have a good, I have a good shepherd's crook that I use, a good hazel stick, um, or walking poles, because some of the areas, especially when you're walking on slippery, rocky beaches, and there are certain stretches like that of crossing the, the wee burns that they make, there's some burn slow across the beach, you may need, um, in fact you should, you shouldn't walk without a walking pole on the, the um, rough stretches and the wild stretch of the coastal pass. It, it steadies you, it prevents falls. Secondly, the fourth good is good company. Uh, yeah, one companion or two, walking alone, not a good idea. If you fall in a rocky area and the tide comes in, you're stuck, jam your leg, jam the rock, you're drowned. Um, that can happen, I'm being a bit dramatic, but uh, <laughs> you're mild, you can be a long way away from somebody else. So company preferably. If you want to draw, if you're a, a new walker wanting to, and we did, Gillian and I led a walk from the new, the walk you did, the new to air last August, or a week a year past August, before, before COVID came in, and with 30 people on, a lot of people were these folk that you're describing who had not walked out their comfort zone before and they thoroughly enjoyed it and a lot of them wanted to come back. So a, a walking group will get you into this till you get your confidence and your, 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 uh, your skills there. Uh, but in small groups you'll see more than in large groups, but you'll still have good company in the large groups. The fifth thing is always pre-plan for route, weather and tides and have a, a, an escape route. I'm a sailor and, and when we Plan a, when we plan to sail summer, you have your route mapped out and your chart, but you also have your escape route if the weather turns and anchorage that you can go into. You have this when you're walking as well. Um, plan for your pre-plan. Even on the coastal path, it's very well signposted, but it's amazing the number of people too busy talking to each other and they walk past a sign and then they don't know where they are. <laughs> it does happen. And the, the, the final thing, if you're doing the Ayrshire Coastal Path, you should buy your copy of the guidebook because it's so full of information which you're not going to see in a walk, but if you can walk and you, you're going past Turnbury and you, you read that six miles out in the Firth of Clyde lies a U-boat that was sunk by a, a minesweeper during the war, and from that U-boat came the first day of the discs that uh, broke the Enigma code when the U-boat captain the folk come up and one hadn't chucked this, this bit of the code, Enigma code, over the side and it was uh, said to Bletchley Park. There's things like that you'll learn just by reading the guidebook and hundreds of other things as well. And the final thing is to learn to read a map and companies and don't rely totally on mobile phone apps which only give you a tiny, a tiny microscopic picture of a huge route. It's good having a map with you and you can look, look beyond the next waypoint to see what the, the whole topography might be like for the next 10, 15 miles. These are important things. And if you do all that, there's, you, you, you're winning. Brilliant. Thank you for those tips, Jimmy. That's great. Um, and then finally, just from us then, um, what, what's next for you then? <laughs> what's... Are you going to put your feet up and relax at some point? Oh, no, no, there's no such thing. Uh, my motto is better wear done than rust done. So, if you, so I mean, if, you, if, you, if you sit down and stop going, you stop going. And that's it. So, I've seen, I've seen as a GP, I've seen it so hard. People, you just 
what is the expression? Sitting in the armchair, reading the Herald, waiting for the hearse. No, no, yeah. keep busy. Keep busy, keep active, definitely. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank but, you so... What, 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 what really, you're asking what, what, what's going now is really to get the pathminders up and running and back to their normal activities and fun during the summer months, hopefully this year, once the vaccines come in and eventually when the the restrictions leave us, they take it back to a sort of degree of normality out and about in the fresh air, working and improving it for others. Definitely. That, that, that's, that's the fun of it. Definitely. Well, fingers, fingers crossed that's going to that's gonna come about soon. Yeah. Um, Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for all of that, Jimmy. That was really, really interesting. And it was great to talk to you. Thanks. I still enjoyed it. And, um, and um, we'll, um, we'll catch up with you again soon. But f uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks very much, Jimmy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye. The Air and Kilmarnock Active Travel Hubs are South and East Ayrshire Council-led projects delivered in partnership with Sustrans and supported by the Smarter Choices, Smarter Places programme from Paths for All. <laughs>